Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, one hit thunders. Thunderheads? Thunder buns? All right, I'll just go with one hit Thunder listeners. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song that they have written. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites such as Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike and Brett Gurwitz, up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu, and even some of the artists that have been featured on One Hit Thunder. The show is even produced by One Hit Thunder host Chris Fafalius. What more could you possibly ask for? Krista Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. I guarantee you'll like it, or we'll give you your money back. Sometimes we have to bend the rules to qualify artists as appropriate subject matter for One Hit Thunder, but not this week. Dead Eye Dick are an undeniable choice, as they are almost universally known only for their catchy pop rock hit, New Age Girl. This week, we're joined by Johnny Etzganish to decide if the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack was the exact place this song should be, or if there's more meat on the bone when it comes to this fun 90s band. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me want 
All right, Johnny, so you're back and you usually bring the thunder when you come on when you come on the podcast. We recently did a countdown episode where we noted that for two years in a row you had come on to talk about what ended up being in our ranking episode, the number one song of that year. You had Barely Breathing and you had Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you. Will you repeat that again this year? You came with Dead Eye Dick, New Age Girl. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't no. know if it's going to happen. You did <laughs> no. But going through the one-hit wonders, I mean, there's o- I mean, there's only so many songs that you know I personally know. So going through the list, you know, I must pick Dead Eye Dick the last time when I picked Tony Rich Project. Right. Yeah. But the reason why I didn't was the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I just feel like. In the essence of a one-hit wonder, I feel like this is like the yeah, definition. There's no debate. This is a definition <laughs> like, of a one-hit wonder, and it's it's almost so ridiculous that it's like novelty music, and that is like the absolute definition of a one-hit wonder is when it's when it crosses over into novelty, and we'll get into why. There's one line in this song in particular that makes it like, I've talked about this. Sometimes I think, and we got to keep this in mind with another cheetah. I like to keep this in mind with my bands. I think this is important. Sometimes you got to be so ridiculous in your song. You see this in pop music all the time where it's something that's so stupid that you're, that it makes people pay attention. Dude, perfect example. You're a Taylor Swift fan. That look at what you made me do song is so stupid that was like the stupidest song ever, but it was like, okay, like we're in. This yeah. is completely ridiculous. Pop stars do it all the time. In this song, of course, might as well get it out of the way. It's she don't eat meat, but she sure like the bone. Is it she sure like to bone? Or? She sure likes the bone. Yeah, she, she sure likes the bone. That's so outlandish and stupid and ridiculous, but it's without that line, this song probably isn't a hit, uh, right? I was brushing my teeth and I was thinking... That line kind of makes the song cheesy, you know, kind of like you said, a novelty song. But would it be the hit today without that line? No, I, I say no. Even though, even though the chorus is catchy, the chorus is good. The chorus is really good. The Mary Ma. So I did pull a quote from Caleb, the, the main songwriter in this band. Um, and he, he said, I wouldn't blame anyone for not taking me seriously as a lyricist if they listened to that song because it is a silly song that didn't require a great deal of thought or emotional investment. It almost wrote itself. One thing it did do is absolutely worked for what it needed to be. The music sounded rockish, but that riff almost is comedic. So they support each other lyrically. And I think that that had a lot to do with the song's success. I I think so. And also... The subject matter of the song. It's funny. We're going to talk about vegetarianism. I feel like every time you come on here, we talk about vegetarianism and veganism. But this whole concept of like, it's new age girl, environmentalist, crystals, vegetarianism. I feel like in the mid 90s when the song came out, that's when that concept or whatever you want to call it, that trope of a person really was at its height. I think of things like, okay, Matt, I might be a little bit off on this and you would be the expert on this but like i would think of daria i would think of like this was really a thing that people it was a type of person it was like an alternative girl i would say that at the year that this came out so we're talking like 1993 it peaks at 1995 
I would say the person that this song would best describe in the pop culture world would have been Phoebe on Friends. Okay, right. Hippie, hippie vegetarian. Well, like, uh, I mean, they described as a socially conscious vegetarian. Right. Yeah. Like, which sounds awesome to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, in today. Yeah, that's I, what you're looking for. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think today this, that type of person is also popular. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think especially if they're cute, you know, like a cute girl that like cares about the world. I mean, that's, that's always been my, I mean, there's different levels of it, but like, I don't think that I would personally could be attracted to someone who didn't at least care a little bit about other people. Empathy is like definitely an attractive quality. Somebody that was like, that's why I, I would never like someone that was a Republican. No yeah. matter what they look like, people will fight with me about this. I'm like, no, I just wouldn't be attracted no matter what they look like. It could look like Megan Fox. Megan Fo- she's a fox. You know, yeah. she's perfect she's, last name. I mean, she's from that family, <laughs> yeah. which I've never heard her like politics or whatever, but you have to assume to a certain extent, maybe she has slightly... I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that's wrong. Who knows? Yeah, you, there are plenty of people who don't agree with their family business. Right. Stuff. But but someone that even looks like that, if she was like, yeah, I like Trump, I'd be like, ooh, yeah. gross. I'm not a tr-. So I think there yeah, is- I'm, I'm yeah. kind of like that with bangs. Yeah. Johnny, yeah. Johnny hates bangs <laughs> haircuts. You know those can be cut, right? Uh, grow them out. Yeah. <laughs> I think that everything about this song equates to a perfect song. It is- the subject matter about describing this girl, a lot of people probably could relate to it and think it's fun. It's easy to know what it's about. It's just yeah. describing this girl, catchy as hell. That riff almost reminds me of another one hit thunder thing we talked about on here. It was like the knack. Yeah. You know, it's like bump, bump, bump. It sounds almost like nursery rhyme ish. Well, or and childish. I kind of agree with what he said, where he's like, the riff is almost comedic in yes. a sense. Like, it's like, dun. Yeah, that too, that too. That's another hook. It's just going raw. Like that thing. Everything about the song is perfectly crafted, but it's so silly that it almost spills over into novelty because because of all that. He he had another quote. I wrote down two really big quotes from him because I bought this album. So did I. And I kind of only liked New Age Girl. So I, I came into this ready to be like, yeah, this is definitely a classic. They had one good song. But the more quotes I read from the guy, the more I'm like, God damn it, I do like this guy. Like he's got so this was the other quote he wrote, which tackles something that we always hate on this show, which is someone who hates their hit song. Mm-hmm. He said, Had the song not been a hit, it's possible that people maybe would have been more prepared to think of us as a cool band. There's a lot of would have, could have, and should have, but we're very fortunate. Even if we didn't get to live out some permanent rock and roll dream, we got to have a nice ride. And there's so much in my life after Dead Eye Dick that was benefited positively from the fact that we had a good song. I mean, I love that. You got (laughs) to love when someone embraces their hit. Man, take a drink because I'm about to say it. You'd kill for a hit. I would love to have a hit. So I love when people embrace the hit. Johnny and I were arguing about this before this episode, maybe yesterday, day before. But this song being in Dumb and Dumber is what made it a hit, right? That's what I kept reading. So the way that it was broken down to me, and I'm going to... So they they had a loyal following, but they still never could land a record label. Like they couldn't get a deal, but they self-published a record of New Age Girl. So they knew that they had something with this song. They like fished it. They put out the money themselves, made the single, and it started to gain some regional airplay on like a lot of different 
New Orleans, New Orleans, Atlanta, stuff like that. Then they landed a record deal with an independent label who released the song. And then when the song was picked for the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack, that's when the publicity of the film really focused on it. And it became like this novelty indie hit into like a national mainstream hit from that movie. So, so I agree that the, it blew it up, but it was gaining steam on its own. Yeah. So they recorded like a four song cassette, put it out to radio stations on it, just put it out, self-produced, no label. And the song started, obviously how else would the dumb and dumber people know, know to put right. it on there. It had to have yeah. some sort of airplay somewhere. Right. So, but uh, what I was arguing with you about is that, Dumb and Dumber was out by the time you got this album because I think that's how every that's how the music video did the music video have clips from Dumb and Dumber? No, the no. music video was them in the pumpkin patch. Yeah, yeah. I watched okay. the video. It's a pretty interesting video. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but it was definitely so. Th- so yeah. peak number twenty seven on Billboard one hundred chart in January ninety five. Okay. So I'd imagine I probably heard it because of Dumb and Dumber. I didn't hear it on these local stations, but I didn't buy the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. I bought the actual CD. Yes, right. And and probably maybe you hadn't even seen Dumb and Dumber yet, but the movie was out. The movie helped blow the song up. And that's inadvertently, even if you heard the song before you saw the movie, it was the movie yes. that really gave them yeah. the song a push. And the scene in Dumber Dumber, it's... Jeff Bridges is meeting Lauren Holly in the ski lodge. He walks in this crazy orange alpha with his helmet on, mm-hmm. with his skis on, knocks over all the skis. Right. You know, everyone in the place looks at him. And then it cuts to Jim Carrey, who's also thinking he's meeting Lauren Kelly. And he goes up to the bellhop guy and he's dressed as a cowboy. And he acts like he's going to pull a gun out to shoot the guy and he gives him two $1 bills. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was such a huge movie. I mean, you're talking Jim Carrey at, well, where did this fall in Jim Carrey? This is the highest paid Jim Carrey at this point. So he did Ace Ventura and The Mask and Dumb and Dumber in the same year. 1994, all three of those movies dropped. But Ace Ventura was crushing it. And I'm pretty sure at the time he was the highest paid actor for any role. Because of this, because of this movie, how fast things happen for Jim Carrey. I mean, '94 was good for everything. Yeah, '94. Yeah. We we all know '94 was the best year ever. Movies, music, maybe TV, but mo- movies and music for sure. But Jim Carrey, wow, did he? And I never look. I was an Adam Sandler guy. <laughs> I felt like he had to pick a side, and I was. I thought Adam Sandler was so much more funny than Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was on Living Color. Looking back now. Jim Carrey was actually really funny. I was just, I picked my side. And I liked In Living Color. I didn't like Jim Carrey on In Living Color. I, I didn't know you had to pick a side. I liked Adam Sandler and, and Jim Carrey. Yeah, I felt. I was into both of them. I felt the Same loyalty. as like, you know, Van Damme and Seagal. I liked wow. both of them. Yeah, I, you know? I, picked, I picked sides. I don't know why. But another thing I talked to Johnny about before we talked about this is that years later, I was still in high school, so it was probably only like a year later or something in the town that Johnny and I grew up in Bel Vernon, there was a store called GC Murphy's. And I don't know, was it just a Bel Vernon or was it like, were there other GC Murphy's? Maybe it was like a regional store. I don't know. It was a weird ass store. It was like Hills or Kmart. Mm, No, it was a little weirder. It was more like uh, not as extreme as (laughs) Matt. Do you know what an Ollie's bargain outlet is? I mean, I get a rough idea based on the bargain outlet portion of it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a store where you walk in kind of like a dollar store in a way where it was like one aisle was like 
pet food. The next aisle was like paper products. The next aisle was toys. Like it just, it was like nonsense kind of. GC Murphy's was like that. They also had like an aquarium section. Yeah, they had animals you they could get there. animals. There was a little cafe in there, I think. My bubba worked there for a bunch of years. Nice. So I would hang out at GC Murphy's. <laughs> yeah, GC Murphy's. But they had, at one point, a bin of CDs. Matt would have loved it. He would have raided this thing. Oh, yeah. And I do believe that I remember seeing Dead Eye Dick, a bunch of Dead Eye Dick CDs in there for 49 cents. Dead Eye Dick, there's another artist who we haven't covered yet, but The Flies. I would say that anytime I looked at a used CD section, there was a lot of The Flies, Got You Where I Want You, and Dead Eye Dick. With yeah. new age girl CDs hanging out. Do you in think there. Dollar General selling any of these CDs? Probably. I, look, I'm head, after this. I'm heading to a used CD store. He's going to CD warehouse after this. <laughs> so I, I want to just bring up something with Dumb and Dumber real quick because I looked it up. So Jim Carrey was paid seven million dollars to do Dumb and Dumber off the success of Ace Ventura, which is ten times what he got paid to be in Ace Ventura. Wow. New Line Cinema wanted Nicolas Cage to be his co-star. But Nick Cage won it $2 million, and they signed Jeff Daniels instead. Keep in mind, Jim Carrey, $7 million. How much do you think they paid Jeff Daniels to be Ooh, the trying, co-star? I'm trying to think what Jeff Daniels had done up to this point. Because now I think of him as being in so much stuff, but two hundred and fifty grand. 50000 Whoa! <laughs> like, damn! 50000 because New Line didn't want him in the movie because he was only known for a dramatic actor and Daniels wanted to prove he could do comedy. Wow. So he took a pay as, as low as they were willing to pay him to 50. give a chance to show that he had like a comedic comedic chops as well. Wow, that's insane. I might have pulled a Matt Kelly. I think I called him Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it's all <laughs> right. Jeff, Jeff Bridges is the dude. Yeah. The other people that they were considering for that same role though, were uh, Chris Elliott and Rob Lowe. Well, I'm trying to think of the movie with one of the... Rob Lowe? Chris, <laughs> Chris Elliott would have killed Chris it. Chris Elliott would have killed it, yeah, actually. Chris, <laughs> Chris Elliott is such an underrated, funny guy. Shit's like, Creek, he's really good in. Oh, yeah. I mean, just just everything. I mean, ground. he was even funny in like... Well, Groundhog Day had a small role, but yeah, he's he's awesome. Cabin Boy. He's really... really. Uh, get a Life. Jeez, Chris Elliott rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Caleb Gillette, if that's how you say his name, he thought of this... He thought of that guitar riff in the shower. Yeah. Nice. So that's just how it happened. So that probably that, you know, knacky riff that you said mm-hmm. just yeah. in the shower, he thought about it. And then new age girl came out. And sorry, I did get some information wrong that I want to clarify. It wasn't dumb and dumber where he hit like a peak payment. It was the cable guy Oh, wow. with the cable guy. He became the first actor to ever be paid $20 million to be in a movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. The cable guy. And that's, that was made by his friend, which makes it all the weirder because that was a Ben Stiller movie. Something else, Jim Carrey, uh, Eternal Sunshine. Mm. I guess, uh, is it, what's the guy's name who did the movie? Michelle Gundry. Michelle Gundry, Gundry. Yeah. yeah. I guess Jim Carrey was really depressed at that point. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, you know, I don't want you to get better. He's like, I need you like this for this role. Wow. So filming that role, he was basically in character in his own life. And he said, that's why I like the movie industry is, you know, just so hard to be in because I was actually depressed and they wanted me to be that way. Well, that's why John Hughes, while we're talking about how Hollywood can suck, John Hughes walked away from filmmaking after John Candy died because he was constantly trying to get John Candy to eat healthier and lose weight. But John Candy was literally terrified that no one would cast him if he wasn't like the fat fall down guy. Wow. So when John Candy eventually died of the heart attack, he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with this company, this industry that's going to like, make people live unhealthy lifestyles in order to feel like they could be the only way to be a success. Wow. Hollywood sucks, man. Yeah. (laughs) Hot take. Yeah. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. It is mind blowing and heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year, but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! So this song, I'd have been 13, 14, depending on when I heard it first. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was already, as we know, I'm a vegetarian, but I was already, like, thinking about it, cutting out meats, reading books, watching those slaughterhouse videos that no one should watch if you ever want to eat meat again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But these lyrics, you know, as, as cheesy as they are, I mean, they stuck out to me because it was talking about a vegetarian. I was like, oh, this could be interesting. So as cheesy as that was, I mean, maybe the subject matter minus the like in the bone part, you know, I actually <laughs> pull people in. Right. Hey, hey, you, we talked about this the other day. You're like, we'll outlive all the septuagenarians. I'm like, yeah, that means... People in their 70s, septuagenarians, if anyone who's wondering, like octogenarians is people in their 80s. Yeah. So it's a person who is 70 to 79 years old, Yes. which when I first became a vegetarian way back in 96, let's say everyone talks shit. This is so unhealthy. You need protein. You know, you're going to die. Do. You do. You know, you can get it other ways, but yeah. everyone thought a vegetarian was not, not the way to be. But today I think it's across medical people say it's better. Right. As long as you're not eating only French fries or something. <laughs> yeah. So, so septuagenarian, yeah. he sounds like he says septuagenarians. Like the way he says it sounds like D-I, you know, but that's not. So I think he has a little bit of play on that word. Yeah. Like when you listen to it, it's, he's not, he, he breaks it out like the syllables of it and it doesn't sound like how it's supposed to be pronounced. Well, speaking of that, it wasn't until I printed out the lyrics to this song, I thought it was Mary Mall. Mary Mall. Yeah, Mary Moon. But it's Mary Moon. Like, there's no ooh sound to me. Mary Moon. It's, it sounds like, oh, like yeah. Mary Mall, I thought it was. Once again, 
Fun song. So let's talk about charts real quick. Yes, yes. All right, hit 27 on the Billboard Hot 100. So not a smash not hit, a smash. Really, but it was an MTV hit. But it, it was an MTV like. hit, January 7th, 1995. Mm-hmm. Number one song on Bend It Knee, Boys to Men. Such a jam. Love to see it. One of the more confusing things I saw was that just below it at 29 was The Four Seasons with December 1963. I guess it got re-released for some oh. reason that, oh, what a night. Like, I'm trying oh. to think if that was in a movie or something at that time or what. Well, look, it was number 27 on the Billboard Hot 100. But I would say I would say it was as well known by the masses as on Bend Knee, if not more. Well, so let's look at what it was also around at that time. So some songs I thought were comparable was like at 25 was Hootie and the Blowfish, Hold My Hand. Mm-hmm. At 23 was I'll Stand By You by The Pretenders. Mm-hmm. At 22 was You Don't Know How It Feels by Tom Petty. Like these are all like... You, you left out 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters. I did leave that out. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> and All I Want to Do by Cheryl Crow was number 17 at the time. You Gotta yeah. Be by Desiree. Gotta was, Be was there. Was Short Dick Man by I, 20 Fingers. Was I know. There. Short Dick Man was on here. <laughs> and that was number 14. Yeah, Short Dick Man did better than Dead Eye Dick. <laughs> do you remember, I, don't, I don't know that song. You don't know Short Dick Man? No. It was on MTV. It was Short tort man i think was I think like the censored right. version yeah. i can't believe short dick man was that was that high on the charts but i will agree that this dead eye dick song was probably because of the movie the movie was so popular that even if the billboard charts didn't reflect it because yeah there's plenty of these songs on this thing like <laughs> there are some really funny ones on here take a bow by madonna was number 12 you want this janet jackson number 10 i'll make love to you was number nine which i don't know if it was on the way up or on the way it down. was on the way down on the way down tootsie roll from the 69 boys which we gotta do Ooh, that, that's gotta be on the list yeah. i can't believe it's not a sounds like a song pj would do <laughs> cotton candy sweet as gold let me see that tootsie roll <laughs> you know another night from real we McCoy. can't escape this fucking song i feel like uh, it's always on the charts yeah here comes the hot stepper was it number three and creep from tlc was- actually hold on a second remember when we were doing it was like the trivia game that we did with the friends thing and it was like Real McCoy's Another Night was named as the most played song in radio history. I'm starting to realize that that is very valid based on how many times it's been in the top 10, no matter what year in the 90s we're doing accounts. It was, I guess the 90s were just literally that club scene from the Saturday Night Live with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. The, yeah, the everyone's trying to go to the Roxbury. The Roxbury, yeah. Is that the song? No. It's Hadaway. It's What is Love. What is Love is uh, this, but... It was just Europop was like all over the pop stations for a while. Yeah. Also, just again, throwing out dumb. I think people have forgotten how big Dumb and Dumber was, like how much of a success that movie was. 17 million was what it cost to make. And it brought in $247.3 million. That's, that's insane. <laughs> like, that, it that, was a massive. Sounds like hit. a Jordan Pill movie. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, this song might have been. I can't believe the chart performance wasn't better because just the amount of spins that it was getting in the actual movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like from if it did that good at the box office, it was probably heard by more ears than some of these songs in the top 10 at that time. So it's kind of surprising it wasn't higher. Maybe it was because it was a little more rock based that it wasn't on the 
top 40 channels as much? I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. I actually never, as much as I'm a soundtrack guy, I never picked up the soundtrack to this movie. What else is on it? Also on there was Crash Test Dummies, The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead. I, I love this song. It's the opening scene from the movie. Oh, these are songs that didn't make it into the movie, uh, into the soundtrack. Uh, was Apache Indians Boom Shakalaka, which is like literally the very beginning of the wind your body and wiggle your belly. Oh, wait, it's like no. him like walking through the street with like his big goofy cowboy hat and shit. Nick Cave's Red Right Hand was not included. Um, by the Crash Test Dummies didn't make it. Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman didn't make it. And Rolling Down the Hill by the Rembrandts. Uh, that we talked about didn't make it. So all those songs were in the movie, but didn't make, Just the didn't make it into the movie. How many songs were in this movie? Uh, apparently quite a few, but I can't find the track listing. Uh, Beck was approached about having loser in the soundtrack, but he refused. <laughs> he said, I remember getting a phone call one day. My manager said, there's this film. They want to use loser as the theme song. Then there was a long pause. And he said, the name of the film is dumb and dumber. <laughs> And I just remembered, well, that sums up what the world thinks of me at this point. And I tried to have fun with it and tried not to take it too seriously. But at the same time, I was just so disheartened at that point in my career. Something weird about this. I mean, the short dick guy or whatever it's called. <laughs> short, <laughs> short short, dick man, right? Or, yeah, by, by 20 fingers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they had to you know, call someone on MTV. But, you know, the, the guy who wrote the song said that they obscured the word bone. Like they on did. the radio, like was, you, you can't sure like the <laughs> like you can't say bone on the radio. Wow, that yeah, that's Caleb's really, his name. That's really a stretch. I feel like they let a lot of things go, and and they didn't let him say bone. They didn't let him say bone. All right, so some of the other songs on the soundtrack, I did pull up the track list. The primitives crash. You know, no. Here you go, way too fast. Don't slow down, you're gonna crash. It's a good nope. song. Hurdy Gurdy Man covered by Butthole Surfers. Green Jello got on there with a Whoa. song called The Bear Song. Delight was on there with You Sexy Thing. I guess it's a cover of I Believe in yeah. Miracles. And The Proclaimers with Get Ready. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys listen to any other Dead Eye Dick songs? Yeah, I listened to the whole album. Wow. I listened to this album that was on. And I got to say, not music that I would necessarily listen to, but not bad songs. It's not bad. It's just not for me. So one thing that's interesting with that particular album is that it's not available on Spotify and Apple Music It right is now. not. YouTube, though. I it, watch, I watch, And then YouTube, you watch it. There's 10, 10 videos there. And there's actually like videos that like they might have made after yeah. the fact. So I just kind of watched. I listened to and watched it on YouTube. So the band reunite it uh just to re-record new age girl because the record label filed for bankruptcy and that's why the song's not available anywhere so they just did a re-record so they could provide it on yeah. spot streaming site. i saw nice. that i saw that on apple music i mean yeah. there's a 2021 edition of new age girl and yeah. i'm like why is there a new edition that's for this why song? <laughs> Uh, they got to get those sweet streaming rights from us well yeah i mean why not yeah. especially if you re-record it I mean, look, once again, bringing her up at Taylor Swift, re-recording her back. I mean, it's a very smart thing to do, especially if you have like this love for your back catalog. And if you're lucky enough to have a hit, you might as well make the money. Yeah, remember, we said that we think Alana Miles did that because yeah. she re-recorded Black Velvet. And that was the first time she got royalty payments yeah. for the song. Right. So going back to the success of this song, after being recorded on a cassette, um, alongside four other songs, the track became, track became a local radio hit, prompting Ichiban Records to sign the band. Clive Davis of Arista Records attempted to sign the band afterwards, afterwards and they said no. <laughs> I love they turned down Clive Davis. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Now nah, we're good. I didn't listen to the whole album. They had a video for a song called Perfect Family, yep. which wasn't bad. 
I thought it was an R8 song. They have a song. They have a song called Molly on there, and it's like pictures of just like like random uh, like a slideshow of just pictures of a girl. Uh-huh. Like it almost looks like pictures from MySpace. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who we can only assume is Molly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they had a song called Anyone that was like a really chill song, like kind of jazzy. I was surprised by that. I mean. I, it, it was probably worth the 49 cents that it was they were selling the CD for. And I hope you get a Dead Eye Dick CD today, Matt, when you go to the CD. I already so, had it. I oh, told you. You already, <laughs> already, you already have it. And hey, I'm not talking shit on albums being sold for a dollar at Dollar Tree and stuff because you know what? My band CDs are sold at Dollar Tree. It's like once a week someone sends me a picture like, hey, I got 37 everywhere at Dollar Tree. And I don't even feel bad about it because for a couple of reasons. Number one reason I don't feel bad about it is nobody buys CDs anymore except for Matt. Like, and so at least they're not just thrown in a dumpster somewhere and someone's psyched about it. Second of all, in those dollar trees, like when people, there's, there's a couple of YouTubes where people go to a dollar tree and they have a lot of views on them and like skim through the CDs. And it's a lot of good artists that I like. It'll be like, Oh, here's punchline. Here's a dashboard confessional. Here's Goldfinger. Like, I'm like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't like embarrassing. This just yeah. means there's. People well, stopped buying CDs like right around the time of 37. 37 yeah. Everywhere album came out in like 2005 or six or something. Yeah, because 2007 was when I bought Just Say Yes. Yeah, that and that was getting towards the end of people buying things. They bought but stuff it, on iTunes. But after it is that. funny. So like, I think we got into this on one of the Weird Al podcasts that hasn't come out yet. But like Matt and I were talking about he works at a he for many years worked at a record store, and he said it is very funny to see how the value of things changes. And he's like, I saw it in real time where like people would bring in these estate sales of records. Mm-hmm. He's like, in something like Phil Collins, no jacket required. Like it's like that album must've just been handed to every person that bought a record. So it would sit in the dollar bin and he goes, and then literally over time, it's like, suddenly it becomes a $3 record. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a $5 record. Now it's suddenly this seven or $8 record. Cause people are buying record players again. And they're like, Oh, I want to get like the full Phil Collins collection. It's like, it's weird that things will just go, in this rotation, cassettes are back suddenly. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't think I'm buying into the cassettes thing only because the, that's such a bad format. Like if you put those cassettes in like a too warm of a room or yeah. too, you know, like they CD get is definitely safer than cassette. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, your other band Pack played a show the other night with a band called Tiny Wars, and I think they only had their music on cassette. I think it's a novelty more than anything because it's cheap to produce, and you can put a download code card inside the cassette tape. Well. The thing about, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you don't even need a download car. You just go stream the thing wherever. Yeah. It is, it's more like, here's this item that represents you supporting our art. And a lot of people like records because they're big. You can frame them. I wonder how many people actually even listen to them when they buy them because it's more like a collectible. And it's almost like sometimes, oh, I want to keep that thing preserved and perfect. Yeah. It's more like a representation because you're only just going to listen to it streaming anyway. So a cassette's just as cool if it's this cool thing. Stranger Things made cassettes yeah, cool. Yeah, cassettes for their soundtracks. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, people say that people can go buy my album right now. Like, do people actually buy to like download albums is that a Dude, thing i do but why, why <laughs> do you very, do it so my fear and maybe this is just being paranoid but case in point dead eye dick's album is nowhere to be found if you wanted to just listen to it while driving unless i wanted to pull it up on youtube and individually change the tracks so like i like just having a physical copy of something that i can load into the computer and if I want to, because i still listen to music through an ipod <laughs> i put everything on my ipod you, you are the 
such a dramatic minority. And oh, I, I know. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that because as people that make music, you rely on the, the Matt minority. Kelly, the Matt Kellys of the we world. We need Matt Kelly. We, we need one Matt Kelly. And, and unfortunately, he's a very rare person. <laughs> I think the only way it works is on things like Bandcamp. And I think the way it works on there is if you release something on there that isn't streaming. And it's like, go pay 99 cents for this well, song. Well, you can even set, like I've seen band camps where it's like, you'll go and click into an album and it'll have like one song that's playable in band camp. Mm-hmm. And then it says like, pay $5 to get the full out. Like you can't even listen to it on Bandcamp without paying the money to download the well, album physically. Well, the, the, it's, it's a question. It, it really does get down to the, so what do you want? What, what do you want? Do you want to put the music out there so anyone can listen to it at any time for free, however they listen to music, or are you trying to make that dollar at a time? And the, what I've gotten at over the years is I just want as many people to hear it. So maybe it comes up, maybe whatever money is going to come, comes a different way, whether it's coming to our shows, buying a t-shirt, buying a record, or I look at every song you release into the world as a little lottery ticket where it's like you get lucky and your song catches on because people use it on TikTok or just the quality of the people. It just connects with people so much that it blows up or you get added to a playlist that, a million people listen to and that I just look at it as every time you release a song, it's a little lottery ticket. Well, I mean, I think we might've talked about this before, but the first artist I'd listened to that said, Hey, I'm just going to release my music for free and not, not put it out is the weekend. He mm-hmm. put three albums out right. and, and also he was shrouded in mystery. I think for the first couple years, yeah. he didn't show his face. Yeah. So he didn't know clue what he looked like and he didn't put any albums out except for download. Well, yeah. I'll tell you one thing you can do for Chris and I don't know if I ever told you that I do this, but I did become friends with a bunch of the cast members of the newest season of The Circle on Netflix. And one of the things that they kept doing for a while was they would make a playlist, but for one hour, they would let anybody who wanted to add songs to it. And I always would throw two or three punchline songs nice. on that playlist just Pre- in case one of them caught fire. <laughs> appreciate that. And you know, yeah, that, if that- you ever see a celebrity li- opening up the access on a Spotify playlist, Throw some of your favorite under, unknown bands in there, and I mean, you might change their lives. That's that's all. That's all you could do. Bringing it back to Dead Eye Dick. Well, well, one more thing, I have to talk about Dead Eye Dick real quick. I was like, just I type Dead Eye Dick in, and I'm looking for songs, and some screamo band comes up. <laughs> like, there's a screamo band called Dead Eye Dick, and it was from like the mid like 2008 or 2009 or something. And I was like, how did these guys not Google search Dead Eye Dick? And it was like. A music video that was like, you know, looked decent and they were, you know, a decent recording and it was screamo metalcore music or whatever. It wasn't my thing, but I was like, these guys didn't search and realize that there's a band called Dead Eye Dick. What what are the chances? I know it's a Kurt Vonnegut novel or something, or it was a character in a Kurt Vonnegut yeah, book. Yeah, the, the Kurt Vonnegut novel. I mean, it's crazy. The novel's main character, Rudy Waltz, or known as Dead Eye Dick commits accidental manslaughter as a child when he shoots the gun out of a window and fatally strikes a pregnant woman. Rudy was so traumatized and guilt-ridden by the incident, he lives life as an asexual neuter, neither homosexual nor heterosexual. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Kurt, if anybody who's read a Kurt Vonnegut book before realize they're like really crazy to the point where a lot of people would read those books and be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, but that's why they're classics. They're so and original. And in that, you know, the Dead Eye Dick character, his father was a young man, lived in Austria, and was one of the few people who was actually friends with Adolf Hitler before his rise to power. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of one of those Forrest Gump things. 
you yeah. know, where like all these things just intersect because I doubt any of that stuff's true. Yeah, they're all so wild and they're all allegories for, for things. But I think that's the appeal of, of Vonnegut. If you've ever read Breakfast of Champions or, or anything else, that's, that's the appeal of it. All right, so we got to make a decision. Dead-Eye Dick. Did they bring the one-hit thunder or were they a one-hit blunder? I mean, there's not a lot to go on here. I, I mean, this is the first time that I haven't brought a song that I fully loved, that I did love it as a kid. I even listen to it now and think it's all right. The lyrics are just cheesy. And I usually bring a song that I absolutely love and I think it's a you know a one-hit thunder, but I got to go blunder. Yeah. They haven't done anything. Yeah, they, they, right. they broke up. They disbanded a few years later. I mean, he, what he said, he, him and another band member in New Orleans is still playing music 20 years later. So, I mean, that's cool, but I, I don't think that Dead Eye Dick, for what it was, is just your classic one hit thunder, which we translate to be a blunder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to agree with you on that too. Uh, I, again, everything I've read about the dude, Caleb who wrote this song, his quotes, everything seems cool as hell. Like this is Caleb. If you want to come on and tell us how wrong we are about yeah, this, Caleb, we think you're cool. We think yeah, you're cool. You're like, this is not a diss against the band. Not my thing. I think that this is a really fun song. I don't think that dead. Eye Dick is like this amazing band that, everyone who's listening really needs to dig into the back catalog and find these hidden gems or anything like that. Like I, if you only know new age girl, I think you've got what you need yeah. out of this band. Yeah. And I think that at the time, and we've referenced this a lot of time, 1995, this is peak. I only like punk rock music. Anything that's on the radio sucks. And I thought this song was really stupid. I may have had a, had a laugh about the, she don't eat meat, but she sure liked the bone line or whatever, but didn't like it at the time. I think I like it a little bit more now. I appreciate the the so the songwriting craft of it. Like, kind of wish I I wrote it. I'd have probably kept. I personally, I'd have kept the "She Don't Eat Meat," but she sure like the bone line out of it, and that would have been the downfall of it. It's catch. The chorus is catchy as hell. The bridge is awesome. The the bridge. Okay. Listen to the bridge. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then it goes into an instrumental rock part, which has some really cool guitar parts. I love when people just don't shred the guitar where they add, you know, it's like classy. Like they add chords in there and they do some of that shredding and go back and forth. It's just not all shredding, but the instrumental part's awesome too. Yeah. I mean, it's like jangle pop, I guess is what you would call it. It would be like a wackier gin blossoms. Like yeah. they could have played a show at the gin blossoms and it would have been totally fine. It's not like in your face, loud guitars. But like you guys said, this is kind of all they, they did. The Caleb and Mark went on in, in the New Orleans scene as producers. I think that's cool, but they didn't really do anything else. And so much so that <laughs> 10 or 15 years later, there was a, a screamo band called Dead Eye Dick who didn't even know that this band <laughs> existed. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's a blunder, but I, I I do appreciate the fact that they know it. They know that they had a good thing. They knew, they knew that uh, it's pretty cool that they had. Hopefully a they made a bunch of money off of it. Yeah, I would think they probably they probably, they probably made, did decent. And enough. they might still be making money. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they get. I'm sure. My guess, and I have no idea, is that these guys, whoever is credited with, with the songwriting here, I mean, just on Dumb and Dumber getting played alone. Hey, I make I make a hundred bucks a year because of uh, Van Wilder too. Sick movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I make you know. It's actually that ha the last couple of years I really haven't made much on that. But if they played on Comedy Central, 
I would get like 20 bucks every time it aired somewhere. It's nice they still pay artists for that. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you got to pursue it, but sometimes it just comes in through ASCAP. I would guess that based on Dumb and Dumber alone, that these guys probably make a couple thousand dollars a year on yeah. it. And Nothing may, to They, they might have made a million dollars when it was out, just based on being in Dumb and Dumber, what they paid them, radio. Because I think maybe back then... Yeah, did they get a cut of every soundtrack sold and stuff like that too? Or I don't the, know how that nine, works out. Well, yeah, in the 90s when people still bought CDs and MTV was a huge thing... I think that people made a lot more on music. If people had to go out and yeah. physically buy the album, I don't know how many albums these guys sold, but yeah, maybe all in all, these guys probably made a million bucks. So yeah, good for bad. them. Good for them. You are a work of art, and I lower value from the start. I've got to make a move, or you're moving away. Look at me, and maybe you'll see something. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Othalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Punish or Privilege off the Punchline album Just Say Yes. Visit punchlion.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash OHTpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris or myself at WeKnowPodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. Punish me or privilege me with you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.